Quiet and set. Camera. Set. Sound. Speeding. Ah. Welcome to episode three of Girl on Girl Action. I am Clementine. I am alone here today in the studio with the wonderful Lucy Heath, who is an actor and a writer. And we're going to talk all things Lucy. <laughs> My favorite subject. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> and all things like Lucy's perspective on the industry. And yeah, have a really nice chat. So I kind of wanted to know how you would describe your journey into your mm. career where it is now. Not necessarily from like, you know, inception but, to now, yeah, but. <laughs> that would be long and dull. <laughs> um, like, yeah, your understanding of what happened. So I've actually been thinking about this quite a bit recently. I'm <laughs> just thinking about myself. Um, but so I went to drama school and then I left and I signed and, got a job like a uh, you know smaller job uh, straight from the off and felt really like oh my gosh Hollywood is a cool thing and then just nothing like I did not get auditions and I think we got told a lot you're going to face rejection you know I think the average is something like one in 20 auditions you get we were given all the statistics I was not getting auditions I think I had three in two years I really internalized it in a strange way where it made me feel really like ugly and I felt really sort of like god what's what's wrong with me which I think people can relate to and I and I think all of my friends were talking about their like horror story auditions and I couldn't join in so it got to a point where I thought god I, I can't even join in socially anymore because I, I don't know how to communicate in in this like language of auditioning yeah. so basically I was reading, you know, scripts and stuff. And, you know, when, is it Carson Cool Pro now? He used to be Mandy. And I was being sent. The stuff I was being offered was like, hey, come in this film and get your tits out. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I also have relatively disappointing breasts. So I was like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, but so that was all I was being offered. And then I, I just thought, I was reading these scripts and I was like, I've always written just by myself thought why don't I make a short use that footage as a showreel to try and get in these mythical audition rooms everyone's telling me about and I seemingly cannot for the life of me get in and so basically I made I was like let me just write this short my friend Michael J Ferns is a adverts director primarily but he had won a BAFTA for a short before and he wanted to direct it and I was like oh my god like amazing because now I've got BAFTA winning director attached so now I can email every like crew and everyone's come on board by saying you know we've not got much money but we have a BAFTA winning director attached Mm -hmm. who directs adverts so for future for you he'll employ you on your adverts and you'll get good money whereas <laughs> you'll be working for me for free uh, <laughs> if you want it but basically everyone wanted to work with us because they wanted to work for him so it was just this really fortunate turn of events as soon as he was on board my life was 10 times easier and then we made better the short film and then actually it was it was 17 minutes long the first car and it didn't get into a single festival it didn't get in anywhere and i was like oh 
I mean, considering the fact that it has so many awards. Now, right now. Yeah. yeah. So we so we trimmed it by two minutes. And then it got into a bunch of festivals and won some awards. And yeah, and even, you know, rain dance and stuff. And it was just like, I was like, wow, as if just getting it under that 15 minute mark. So that's like my top tip on other people, <laughs> uh, making sure I like, get it under 15 because it was all the difference. And we, and we changed it to all early bird deadlines rather than mm -hmm. before we were doing late submissions. And we just did a few things more strategically. And then basically that was sort of the beginning for me of then the snowball of writing shorts and then my short picked up and blah 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 so what made you because you know when when you are a struggling actor in the mm -hmm. industry there are so many roads that you can take to like get seen you know some mm. people will develop a certain skill like combat training or some people will produce and some mm -hmm. people will write what made you want to write Joe's so funny I, I, I'm so non-musical and there was a period of time I was like I will learn the guitar that will be my in and then I was trying, and I was like, well, you have no talent <laughs> in this at all. And then I just, I think I've, I'm a very passionate person, and I and I have a lot of, I have a lot of feelings, but I have a lot of... Um, Which is what you want, isn't it? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes not as a human. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I've always thought in, what if this existed? What would the world look like? What if this, I'm, I'm often that person when I'm on holiday with my friends where I always have a bunch of questions like what would you do if if you know this scenario occurred what would you yeah. rather those those kind of things I'm like a very curious person and so I just started thinking in like narrative form with these questions actually I'll tell you the inception of better came about because I, I was experiencing so much anxiety at the time that I was sat down and I just thought I'd give any money to get rid of this anxiety like I really would pay anything and then I was like oh I wonder what else what would people's thing be that they would change that pay to change if they could you know that makes so much sense because your films one thing that I noted is that they're very open-ended and non-judgmental like it's a very curious approach to human life so just a little bit of context better is about a working class woman who um, is very troubled by the bullying that her son receives for being gay. Yeah. And uh, tries to find a solution through uh, a very like medically advanced procedure basically to um, remove the gayness. Yeah, to heteronormalize him is <laughs> the, the phrase we coined, yeah. And then the painter and the poet is about a painter who cannot get uh, anywhere in the sort of the you know canon of uh, money making in the art world, so like the galleries, everything, and then who uh, eventually by like some sort of like fall of events ends up selling herself uh, or like selling out. Mm -hmm. um, and then Pragma is about how modern relationships could be scientifically determined according to not lust but compatibility of brain that was excellent okay. well, i was like wow really that was really like uh moving to hear someone <laughs> say those blue back to me yes bang on yeah but at, at, at any time you know even if the endings are quite pessimistic which is something i want to talk about mm. later there is there doesn't seem to be a lot of judgment towards the characters it's more what would happen if I were myself in that situation mm -hmm. and how would I struggle for it and how would I 
you know, experience all of these challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's 100% what it is. I talk about that all the time where I don't want to tell the audience how they should live their lives or how they should feel. I want them, Pragma in particular, I often say, like, I want it to be a hug to our generation to say, if you are in a long-term relationship or, you know, the opposite, where if you're in and out of relationships all the time, you're not getting life wrong. And I think we live in an era of of um, self-improvement constantly, which is great in many ways, but it also means we can tie ourselves in knots thinking we're getting things wrong all the time. And I'm definitely guilty of that, where I can feel overwhelmed with a sense of like what is right and duty and, and rather than like, maybe it's okay to just fuck up a bit. <laughs> like, isn't a life an interesting place because people would rather the opposite from one another all the time particularly with pragma pragma is a it's an ancient greek term for like sustainable love longevity and love and then eros is like a passionate fiery love and after watching the short people are really like steadfast in their camps as to whether they would have chosen the guy that represents pragma or the guy that represents eros and they're like obviously you know <laughs> the sexy guy or obviously this like more steadfast guy and what i want to say is like that's great you're fine (laughs) and I think I often when I talk to my friends so often the answer is like you're doing great and you don't need to solve this right now the thing you need to solve is the is the judgment of yourself and I think that with things like Black Mirror which I absolutely love but they can often offer a way in which we need to view the world or let's let's see how we would feel if we don't need to if we don't feel confined to getting things right and wrong all the time Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that the ending of Pragma was, like, very much, <laughs> yeah. there we go again. How do you, um, how do you, like, envision the, the path that you've been taking? I stopped trying to copy other people, and I just did what I wanted to do. And I think I was putting a lot of energy in seeing, like, someone's just been cast in this, so I'll email that casting director. Mm. And that was just energy wasted for the first two years I'd say out of drama school as soon as I was like what it what's inside of me like you know and I started going to therapy and I was like what are the things that I want that I feel or I want to address inside myself I love discussing the world so why would I confine myself to just acting in other people's why would I spend so much energy asking permission to even be in the conversation with someone else when I have plenty to say myself, as we all do, but some of us are more like maybe confident or extrovert with it. And I I just feel, yes, I don't know. It just sort of, it came like spilling out of me once the door opened that I didn't want to then shut the door again and go back to being like hey could I possibly be seen for (laughs) also that just was not working like no one was replying like I said I wasn't getting in any rooms I was feeling so small and and really ugly like that was just the manifesting feeling yeah I want to I mean I I, want to talk about that I want to sound on how ugly you are (laughs) (laughs) because I feel like that's so 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 prevalent Mm. with women in the industry like actresses in the industry that I mean also maybe men but I I never have these conversations personally with men that when we don't get a role it is in our heads because we were not pretty enough yeah you know yeah it's really sad I think that's because you know the beauty standards in say Hollywood you know there is a lot of 
work being done and it is sort of it's unattainable you know people are very thin and very and I think also there's just this there's like this whispering narrative that just follows actors that and and this isn't fair and this is really damaging but if someone gets something a big if a beautiful woman gets a big part then they say oh but obviously because she's so pretty and that's insecurity on the person who ever said that that that's them being unfair but what that also the ripple effect is you hear oh then the reason I'm not even getting in the room is because I'm not yeah and I think as well the the issue with never getting in the room is that it's just going off of your headshot so you've never even had the opportunity to to do anything mm-hmm. and I think that's where it can feel personal is because you go well then if all you're going off is my face my face must be shit. <laughs> Are we allowed to swear? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, don't worry. Okay, great. Um, and I just think, I just think that's so untrue and rationally and logically. And if you would say that to me, I wouldn't believe you. I don't, I don't think it's true because I think fashion comes in and out of based on whoever's popped off. And whoever's popped off recently is, is usually a number of determining factors often more like who who did they know in the industry yeah. and then their face becomes the new fashion and that's the you know the new thing that everyone wants to look the like trend, the yeah. new trend exactly so it's it's not it's not personal i think and being on the other side of it you can see it's not personal the issue is just there are so many people trying to do it so the more unique yeah you look in whatever capacity that is that is a slight advantage when you're like casting and I learned this from Ellie Hayden who directed Pragma that you're 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 essentially painting a picture so if you know because Pragma is an ensemble piece so you do have a slight advantage if you are a more unique you know whatever that means looking person but it does not mean you are ugly or worthless or whatever and I think it's so so important not to internalize that is literally the only way unless you know you've been very fortunate from the start the only way to break through is to recognize your own power if you try and emulate anyone else's success or anyone else's power you're already behind them you're already losing if you're trying to copy someone else's path they're already ahead of you the second i stopped looking at what other people were doing i no longer felt jealousy anymore which i which used to really sting when i first graduated i felt i felt jealousy quite like deeply i really don't feel that anymore at all and I started like seeing the things that I was good at rather than thinking, oh, I'm just, you know, nothing compared to yeah. whoever. Now I'm like, wow, you know, I have th- this skill or this skill and that's amazing. The more you can look inwards and like mine your own confidence or whatever the you thing is, the like more you will f- soar in whatever direction you're supposed to go yeah. in rather than forcing yourself down someone else's path that was never meant for you anyways. Yeah, I completely agree. I would also add to that. You know, when you look at yourself on camera and you're like, oh. yeah, it was painful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so painful. And it's like this is only like some sort of irk that you feel yourself. Mm. Nobody else. Mm. It, you know, or like in that headshot, I look really ugly. Mm. And I try always to remind them, this is not what people see. People mm. see your energy. Yes. Like, even if it, you know, film isn't like theater, the medium of image counts. Mm. But what transpires 
first and foremost is going to be your energy. I couldn't agree. I actually had this conversation with a friend recently and we're, we've all been talking recently about aging and what does that look like and a friend of mine, she's doing really well as an actress, she's brilliant and she's, you know, she is objectively beautiful but we were talking about aging and and it's just been going round and round her, her mind recently because, you know, being on screen and, and being a woman and stuff and she sent over this list of actresses that she was like, they don't look like they've had any work done and, you know, they're beautiful. And I was like, yes, look at that list. It's their spirit is is shining through their face. You have to kind of remind yourself that when someone laughs, like that's so beautiful. And when someone smiles and talks passionately and, you know, or is kind, like when someone's generous, like those things, You, if you look at someone that's in the middle of a generous act or laughing or whatever, that, oh, they're just the most attractive person like in that moment. So it's where you put your energy, I think, exactly like you said, is really important and, you know, leaving beauty out of it just in terms of having actual energy for life. Honestly, yeah, leaving beauty out of it, I think, is the main thing because... I know that, you know, the the idea that Hollywood created mm. is that we need to see attractive people on screen. Mm. I don't think that's the case. I think people do very well when they're not conventionally attractive mm-hmm. because they move you. As long as they let you do. see it. Yeah. That's the thing. Girl, you have written and produce some of the three short films that you've written. I and co-wrote The Painter and the Poet with Tyler Conti. Yeah. But the other two I wrote. I had a look at them. Yeah. And I found a lot of similarities between them that I kind of wanted to touch upon. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that you referenced Black Mirror mm-hmm. because I feel like Black Mirror was present. There are moments in the gallery and The Painter and the Poet mm-hmm. in the the science lab in better and in general like the whole setting of pragma Mm -hmm. it's very like pure aesthetically like a scientific almost you know um futuristic Mm -hmm. vibe and there's always some kind of reference to science or like something that doesn't exist yet or like a very ultra capitalist yeah, that was a word. Yeah. Element mm-hmm. to all of these things. Mm-hmm. Is your inspiration like mainly Black Mirror? Are there like other places where you draw from? Do you know what it is? I I often use Black Mirror because I think it's an easy point of access. I'd say my inspiration comes from me. No, <laughs> it's sort of what I said earlier that I have a problem in my head that is personal to me and I just and it will be going round and round and round and then I will think oh what if this existed (laughs) and it's more from that point but you know things like The Lobster by Yugoslavimus like love I love stuff like that that's slightly avant-garde and you know dystopic but it's it's funny because I never relate to sci-fi so much because it's it it's always for me grounded in a problem a personal problem in my own life and then I try and use my protagonist to like navigate my own issue which is what we should all be doing yeah (laughs) yeah true I I'm a rom-com like fanatic I love rom-coms 
so that's actually more the stuff I've always been inspired by. Like Richard Curtis, I look at his writing and I'm like, oh, I loved it. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, the obvious like Fever Will Bridge and um, any like female creative that's doing it for self, like Michaela, Michaela Cole and Greta Gerwig and stuff. But um, I always, fo- yeah, follow women who are creating their own work just to, just to see even more from a business perspective, like how did you do that and also it's just great to hear a female author who's own, like perpetuating her own voice rather than trying to like emulate anyone else's yeah. uh I heard recently voice. that only nine percent of comedy writers are women yeah that doesn't surprise me at all Insane. yeah although I must admit when I meet with production companies now and I meet developers there's a lot of women our age who are just excellent humans and are so <laughs> clever and so on it and it makes me really excited for the next phase of TV because I do think if there's brilliant young female developers and execs, they're going to bring on young female writers and and thus we're going to write parts, you know, that are more interesting for women and more parts for women. Um, So I I do feel, I feel excited about the way that's shifting. But that doesn't surprise me, yeah. (laughs) But it's so interesting that you talk about rom-coms because that's not, I mean, maybe I, I like totally missed yeah. it. But that's like, that, that doesn't feel like the theme. It's funny because, so the, so Pragma is now being developed as a series. Yes. And that, Congratulations. thank you very much. <laughs> um, and that is more, much more down the rom-com route. And yeah. I wonder if, the thing about short is you, it, it has to be so self-contained within, you know, a 20 minute narrative. Or 15 minutes. Or 15 like. minutes, exactly. Sorry, yeah, yeah top tip. <laughs> um, but it does have to be. So So to explore a rom-com in that time that is engaging and it has a satisfying ending is tricky. I've not seen it done very often. Yeah, not recently. N- yeah, so I think, so I, so I think it's more a means of having a satisfying narrative within a short amount of time, which is why they've gone down more of the like, here's a question and here's a couple of offers. Yeah. Because I I I need my I need a short film to have a satisfying ending personally. Not that it answers a question, but just that there's something that feels like juicy about it. Yeah, yeah. Um that's my my two sides of writing. Rom com is one, and then sort of dystopic is the other, which I know is strange. Dystopic rom com, yeah, which exactly. is what Pragma, which is, is what Pragma exactly the series <laughs> is. I think what I what I'm not good at is like just straight dramas. Mm-hmm. So I do, I just don't have that skill set. I don't think so. Something like Line of Duty just would not. That just doesn't happen in my brain. Yeah, I'm 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 surprised at how our writing styles are so similar. Actually, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Oh cool. The, I mean, the the short film that I wrote is like literally, what if there was this and this? And oh this wow! Happened? And like, it, it's about like modern romance as well. Oh my god, I'd love to read it. It's great if you do. <laughs> <laughs> I will send it to you. But this isn't about me. <laughs> so before we talked about how writing and acting is like really a passion for mm-hmm. you, but production is like a lot less. Mm. So yes, I hate it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> strong, strong dislike from me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is really interesting because obviously you wanted to make your own work. Yeah, and the best way to do that 
It's you know, to produce your own work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the best or is it the only? Yeah, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Because because when it, you have no other option. When you have, yeah. And I've always had a producer, but you just end up getting, you just have to do producing as well because you're just not paying anyone, you know, or you yeah. are, I don't know, I feel an overwhelming sense of guilt if I'm paying people like a nominal fee to come and work on my short film so then I'm like let me do every job that I can do to make everyone's lives as easy as possible because I'm not you know if I was like handing out the cash then I then I would feel better at being like you're responsible for that and you're responsible for that but I just don't think that's fair but my brain is just a sieve like I I, and people are always surprised that I don't have no organizational skills but I just don't like I was saying to you (laughs) earlier I have alarms set look at it I've got one alarm that says eat like on honestly my brain is just I don't know where it exists but it's not grounded in like in a, a functioning human brain <laughs> so yeah I I just I really lack the organizational ability that a producer needs you know that really really shocks because your films are like so ordered and structured <laughs> and like you know there is like a point a and a point b which i personally as an a-type find very satisfying um, <laughs> and to know that you're like scattered you like yeah you have like a sieve brain yeah. it's so like i would have never guessed that yeah my friend my friend Brooke, uh, when we lived together she was like like honestly i will leave i'll put the hob on and then just something will happen and i will just go <laughs> and she'll be like hey like you're so scatty you've just put the hob on and left like what and i don't i can't explain it i'm just no longer i'm no longer <laughs> with the hob duty in my mind <laughs> like the hob is now irrelevant to whatever thought i'm now having mm-hmm. I feel very invested in my stories and I am a perfectionist, which is strange because I'm a perfectionist in many ways, but say, you know, people that might have like a mark on their books so they can't, they have to start again. That's not me at all. Like I have, I think I like something like 30,000 unread emails and my friend saw it the other day and he was like, oh my God. That would give me a panic Yes, attack. it does not bother me. In this, <laughs> d- does not phase me. I look at my WhatsApp, <laughs> so many unread, not fast. And I don't, I don't know why because then other things... I am quite perfectionist and obsessive about, um, and I wish, I just wished I had a brain. My life would be so much calmer if I just could remember things or like didn't leave the (laughs) hob on. But it is interesting because your job as a producer was then like wrapped with guilt and then also like the added difficulty of your brain just not working Mm. in that way. Yeah, it was 10 times harder to, to do the job that, someone with a much higher performing <laughs> brain would have would have done it much more swiftly than I could. Do you feel like it, it also impacted the way that you worked on your acting mm. side? Or, you know, because when I was producing a play, I mean, I had Orianne with me, but I felt like the production side and the acting side were so different. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, oh, great. Uh, I would love this costume for my character and like you know started dreaming about it as the actor and then the producer brain came on like no you can't afford it can't afford it (laughs) that's it that's the end of the conversation and there's like this really cartesian brain that comes in to just completely bash yeah the imagination out of you yeah i hate producing and acting i remember oh i can't which film was it? Anyways, one of them, 
I was like taking lunch orders, literally. And then it was like, action. I'd be like, okay, let's do the scene. And, you know, you'd be mid reminding someone that person has a nut allergy. And then you have to jump into a really emotional scene. And then the second you jump out of it, you're like, oh, has the taxi come for so-and-so? That's why I hate producing. Because I think, oh, no, what I love is the writing and the acting. And I always feel personally like... I end up sacrificing the acting because I have time to do the writing before the producing happens. Mm. But the producing on set happens at the same time as the acting. And I just think it, like, I would love to not be responsible for anyone. I'm, I definitely feel guilt easily. And as soon as I think I feel responsible for people, it can, it can feel quite distracting. Like yeah. on Pragma, we had like 40 of, you know, our friends as extras and I kept wanting to check everyone was okay and they were like hydrated. Oh my God, yes. Exactly. Because we know how hard it is to be an extra. Yes, exactly. And you're so unbelievably grateful that they're there. Like that's so kind of them to do that. And you feel this sense of sort of entitlement that you're going, (laughs) come and waste your day on me. (laughs) And so I think that I feel like I owe them a ton of debt which then is just not conducive for feeling free and playful and, you know, all the, all the things you want to feel as an actor. So yeah. I think I, I have always loved acting in other people's stuff more than acting in my own shorts, purely for the reason of feeling like, I, yeah, I, I, I... You owe people Yeah, I owe people yeah. something and that I have a lot to think about and just before the take or, or just after... But I do think, you know, with with the series, because I won't have to do any of that side of things. It's so funny. People ask me like, oh, is it much more stressful now you're, you know, writing long form? I'm like, no. <laughs> Shorts are the most stressful thing uh, they are. in the world. <laughs> like I don't, I don't think I could write and make another. I don't think I could. I just found them, unless I had an unbelievable budget where everyone could get paid and I just it was so tiring all three of them were so tiring it took time away from writing long form which now you can get paid for (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) and I want to make money finally so yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. I 100% understand that yeah (laughs) but I okay because we talked about Pragma being picked up Mm. I would love to know your journey from making that short film Mm -hmm. to it being picked up because I'm I'm pretty sure that there's like loads of filmmakers listening and being like how 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 yes (laughs) how did you do that yeah I mean ours was a lot of luck and I have to say that from the off because Phil Dunster who is in it and co-produced it he and with Jason Sudeikis, right, as well? Yes. So basically, he was in, is in Ted Lasso that, yeah, had just, just kicked off at the time of us making the show. And basically, he sent the scripts round and he made an amazing fundraising campaign. Like, I can't think of the word. Do I want to say EPK? Is that what I mean? Whatever it is. A video, let's say, <laughs> um, where we all sort of interviewed each other on how we want to make the short. Anyways, he sent it around everyone at Ted Lasso and a bunch of them like gave us money. And then Jason Sudeikis put his name as an EP, as an exec producer wow. and gave us some money. To which we were obviously like, oh my God, that is <laughs> such a game changer. So what? then we held, once we'd finished it, we then held a screening. And when we wrote to a bunch of uh, production companies, writing agents you know just people in general but because we had 
Jason Sudeikis as an exec producer, I think it just carried a lot more weight yeah, with people. Yeah. So we had a ton of people come. And then essentially after the screening finished, I, Ellie and I started working on, you know, the, what we wanted the series to be like. And so we were already ready to go with a pitch that we'd written. It was like a 15 page pitch at the screening, invited all these production companies. And, you know, quite a few came, I imagine because of the shiny name attached, you know, and ho- hopefully that's not true. Hopefully. But but also like, them. you know, they, they came maybe because of that, but they stayed for sure. Yeah. As a pragmat self. Well, I'm assuming. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, I, I saw it on the big screen in Manchester Film Festival. I thought it was amazing. Thank you very much. That's very <laughs> kind of you. Um, so yeah. So then afterwards we had meetings off the back of the screening that we had held and basically yeah, had a, had a few different production companies interested in it. And then one production company, uh, Monumental Television, who are excellent. Uh, I think it's all female. I was going to say all female company. Um, well, I've only ever seen women there. but And who are all like genuinely brilliant. Um, yeah, basically they sort of wooed us the most <laughs> and and we just our visions aligned with it we just got chatting about loads of stuff and we we fell in love with them so we went with them and then what was sort of strange is that when we were then you know approaching writing agents or Ellie was appro- approaching directing agents we were in a very odd position where we'd kind of already had a show picked up so yeah. it was a lot easier to approach like bigger agents yeah bigger basically. agents and and we'd just been to the film got into Tribeca which is obviously amazing wow. um yeah Thank you. Um, <laughs> so then we had that name attached as well. It's so funny with Pragma because up until that sure, my journey had been like, oh my gosh, like banging on every door, no one answering. And then kind of, I just felt the the luck flow that other people, you know, yeah. you know, might not have had yet. And I just want to say that from the off, there was a lot of luck involved and it all fell into place really like nicely. I know that you say that and I know that there is luck involved. Yeah. But it also seemed like you were ready mm. for it. You were ambitious. You were prepared. Like for someone who hates producing so much, you mm. had like that 15 page pitch. Yeah, yeah. Already ready from the get go. You had the screening organized. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. this kind of stuff. Like when I see Oriane work, for instance, she's still like she's doing amazing, mm. obviously. But there was a time when, you know, it was the same. It was like collecting money was horrible yeah. and and getting into festivals was horrible and everything. But she just had such a vision for it and she was just so ready and prepared that's amazing and and like the quality of your films that you made without any money (laughs) already amazing to be fair we did have my I want to say we did have money I mean better not so much um but we've always raised a fair bit of money on kickstarter and stuff I don't want to think we made it on like two grand no no no. but like you know even raising like minimum 20 grand yeah yeah like it's yeah oh absolutely shoveling yeah, and yeah, yeah. Shoveling and yeah I won't discredit myself or Ellie or anyone like we we worked super hard and yeah we put our all in into this pitch for example we you know rewrote it rejigged it freaking way too many times like we put in <laughs> so much work so yeah I think I I do think we we were very prepared for sure but equally we did have luck and and sometimes I feel guilty when people say like, how did you manage to do that? I want people to know that it is preparation meets opportunity. And if yeah. you're prepared, your opportunity just might not have 
like reached you 100 but it 100%. will do yeah yeah i totally agree with that yeah and i think it's so like cool of you to be really honest about it well i just think it's so annoying when people are like oh you know and i don't know i used to feel really bitter i think if if people didn't acknowledge that there's a lot of luck in, involved yeah. and and i've i've now seen it firsthand that there is and i just think i don't want to gaslight people who are working equally hard yeah just know that it is all worth it at some point girl and girl. as much as you are an actor and unfortunately for you a producer <laughs> um you're also a writer mm-hmm. And I want to know if you had like little um, bits of advice that you want to give people who are writing or who want to like, you know, get further into their careers or learn how to like juggle the multi hyphenates. Yes. So something that I've really learned through my own mistakes is. Which is what we love. Which is what we love. (laughs) Um, But I so I've had a lot of meetings with different production companies and developers and and things like that and kind of all come off the back of of going actually so I went when we were at Tribeca um myself and Ellie Hayden got asked to be part of this thing called the creators market so we had 14 pitches to do in two days um yeah and and so we met 14 different production companies or you know different networks or whatever yeah which is wild and we sort of thought we'd be talking about pragma what i did not the series but the series had already been picked up by then so what i didn't realize just naively is obviously they don't want to talk about pragma the series because that's already been picked up they want to Mm. hear our other ideas so which i found out like the day before (gasps) and had to sort of write three you know, one paragraph ideas out that I could pitch in these meetings and just, which was absolute trial by fire and was brilliant. Like I absolutely loved it. I didn't realize, I love pitching. I, I just love being in rooms with um, like other creators and developers and stuff. Cause I just think, I, like I just love the way their minds work. Yeah. Um, but basically off the back of that sort of words spread in various ways because we'd met with production companies in in New York and es- essentially I've had quite a lot of uh, different people reach out saying oh we heard you mentioned this idea or whatever and so when I've been going into meetings now over here a lot of people have been asking me for other TV shows that I am developing and mm. I just wasn't like I had been so focused on the one series that I've been going into these meetings again naively thinking I'll tell them about Pragma, like the show that's already been picked up. (laughs) And everyone goes, okay, so what other ideas do you have? I sort of wish someone had told me that to have three or four you know, thought through ideas up your sleeve. And if someone's interested, you can send them the two pager. If they love the two pager, you can expand it to like a seven pager. Even if you're meeting someone about one project, it's probably such a base thing that everyone already knows, but I didn't know that. Just have three or four ideas you're really confident in up your sleeve. And if you have the time to do a one pager on it or a two pager on it, just have that. So after you meet them, you can just send them that and and you know keep that relationship going because what I was having was I was saying these are my ideas and they'd be like great just send us just send us a one pager or send us a this and I was like this is like I don't have that what are you talking about <laughs> and then I'd have I, to, I wasn't expecting <laughs> yeah exactly and so then I'd have to sort of you know the next week be frantically 
putting this thing together. So now I'm learning to just do that alongside me writing the pilot. Which also sounds like a really healthy way to like express your creativity. Because if you, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I go on a project, like a single project for too long, I'm like, I need to leave this planet. And like keeping yourself healthy by actually like, you know, dilly-dallying around with other ideas. Yeah, 100%. Because if you get stuck on one idea, sometimes it's good to daydream about another idea. Yeah. And I think I was so, I was kind of obsessive, like, need to get the pilot done, need to get the, nothing else matters. And actually, that's just not true. I think now I'm learning having multiple projects on the go is, is what professional writers do. Yeah. Whereas I thought, I thought my energy was best spent making one project the best it could be than, you know, having lots of different fingers and different pies. But now I, I, I see that it's definitely better to spread yourself creatively over yeah. different project but I I understand why like if your series is picked up for the first time you're just like oh my god it needs to be perfect so that I can get more work exactly when actually you kind of realize afterwards that it is your ideas that will get you work a hundred percent and not just like your focus on one thing exactly because people actually have read that pitch seen the short they know it. They want to hear what else I have to say. So yeah. just banging on about the same bloody <laughs> idea over and over is just not interesting. Also, if you if you pitch a bunch of ideas, like you said from my shorts, you can kind of gather where my where my brain sits. Yeah. And and that's what they're trying to gauge from you is, yeah. is what could I bring her? Because that's what I'm getting now is people are, are bringing me on to their projects because they know the way my brain mm-hmm. works. And so that's what they're trying to gauge the from essence. you. Yeah. The essence. <laughs> exactly. The essence of how it works. Yeah. That I love that. Um, I hope that other viewers will also love this little bit of advice because as I said, I never heard it before. And I think it's just a really great thing to kind of, you know, allow yourself to chill out mm. a little bit and like not take the one opportunity that you have like so and just like grasp it so hard so we are running out of time in the mm-hmm. studio but I really really like this chat with you oh, I think you're too. like you're like really honest and just like down to earth and I really love that I just want to end with a little closing thought from you where do you think you are heading in the future like how do you see it oh maybe this is sort of too self-aggrandizing but I look at people like Sharon Horgan and Michaela Cole and Phoebe Waller-Bridge and I just they are my like everything and I do think mm. everything that's extreme <laughs> they are my inspiration they are my most things yeah yeah they are a large <laughs> percentage of my things um I just would love to keep making TV shows keep acting in my own shows but in other people's shows as well like I love I love someone giving me a script and me then giving my take on the character. Yes. That's the nicest feeling ever. So I think acting in other people's, you know, films and TV shows and then also creating my own, really what Sharon Horgan does where she acts in other people's and then also creates her own. Like that's, I think, the dream. Just continue yeah. creating my own TV shows and acting. All right. That is all we have time for. But again, thank you so much for coming around. Thank you so much. This has for been excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Blessing us with episode three of yeah, Girl on yes. Girl. Yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll see you all next time and have a wonderful day. Girl.